Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. We've been working our way through the book of Acts for a number of weeks now and learning things from the early church. We've seen the early church born and, again, drawing things from what we see in the early church. So many things that we can learn in the book of Acts, and we've just kind of been hitting some of the highlights, different things that God is pointing out and having us focus on. But just, you know, just the name of the book of Acts is something that should be significant to us, that of all the things that this volume of God's word could be called, it's not the book of thoughts, it's not the book of beliefs, it's not the book of doctrine, and all of those things are important, don't misunderstand me. But if it's just left at the level of belief and doctrine and thought as important as that is, if there is no action to it, all of those beliefs are meaningless. It becomes meaningful and impactful, not just when we believe it, but when we act on those beliefs. And that's really what faith is. Faith is acting. It's an action based on what you believe. That's where faith comes alive. So we've been, we've been learning from the early church that we've got to be doers of the word of God. In Proverbs chapter 27, it says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. You know, we, we apply that to relationships between one another, and that's a good application. But if it's true, then it's true. And we can also apply that to our relationship with the Lord. That it would be better to openly rebuke the Lord. How many know that would be a mistake? That, that, that would be, let me take my word for it, that would be a mistake to openly rebuke God. But it's telling us that would be better than than to have a love that never has any kind of manifestation in your life. And so when it comes to our walk with the Lord, it's not just a, man, I'm really a fan of God. I've got to have that manifest. Let my love for God be made known by my obedience and actually living out the word of God. It should be obvious in my life. We need to be doers of the word of God. It's the book of Acts. It's a book of action. Amen. And so we've been looking at key things from the early church. One of the things that we've seen emphasized over and over again, and we'll see, it, we'll see it again as we work our way through this book, is that there was an emphasis on being people that are filled with the Spirit of God. That wasn't some side issue in the early church. After someone came to know Jesus, it was important. It was a priority. We've got to get them filled with the second work, baptized in the Holy Ghost, filled with the Holy Spirit. It was a point of emphasis. And that experience of being filled, baptized with the Holy Spirit, wasn't just an experience that they had and they moved on. Oh, I remember that one time where I had a moment at the altar. I think I I said a couple things in tongues. It wasn't just a one-time experience. It became a way of life. They lived a spirit-filled, spirit-led life that their life was completely yielded and submitted to fellowship and leading of the Holy Spirit. Another thing that we've seen is that they took the Great Commission seriously. It wasn't just a nice thing Jesus said before he floated away. It was a command. It was something that they said, we need to follow this. We need to be obedient to it. And if you were here last week, as we looked at Acts chapter 11, that that was what we focused on. The bulk of that chapter is just people talking about telling others the good news about Jesus. That's, That's the great commission. Go and tell everyone what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf, that we've been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. We are ambassadors. So in chapter 11, Peter retold the story of what happened in Acts chapter 10, 
how he went to Cornelius' house, told them the good news about Jesus. While he was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on them. They were brought into the kingdom of God. Then it tells us, meanwhile, meanwhile, other believers are still being driven out by persecution, and everywhere they go, they're telling people about Jesus, and many are being added to the Lord. That, that was the bulk of the chapter. Believers tell people about Jesus. That's what Christians do. Disciples make more disciples. And if a disciple isn't making more disciples, then it really calls into question whether that person is really a disciple. Because that, that's a definitive characteristic of a disciple, is that they make more disciples. And we could look at lots of different examples in the New Testament of the danger of having a vine, of having a tree, or of having a person that doesn't bear fruit and the extreme consequences when they are fruitless. And that's, that should be applied to our lives. We need to be reproducing. We should be telling people about Jesus. And last week, a bunch of you, a number of you came and made commitments. This week, I'm telling someone about Jesus. Came lined right up across the front. I, I'm, gonna, I'm talking to someone about Jesus this week. And if you followed through on that commitment, I want to hear about it. I want to hear the testimonies. Please let me know. Put it on a connect card. Grab me after service. Call me. Text me. I, I want to hear the testimonies. You know, we were together Wednesday night at our prayer service. And before service, some, someone told me, Hey, you know, Sunday we made that commitment. That, that afternoon I was talking to somebody and they were sharing something that happened in their life and I said, you know what you need? <laughs> yeah. You need Jesus. And they said, okay. And so I prayed with them and I, they prayed with me and they accepted Jesus as Savior. It, it's happening. And I want you to be a part of seeing people come to know the Lord that we would bear fruit in the kingdom of God would advance. All it took was someone saying, hey, you know, you, you know what you need? <laughs> you need a relationship with Jesus. Okay. So someone is now on their way to heaven, where this time last week they were on their way to hell, just simply because someone was willing to tell them the good news about Jesus. And you and I have the same potential to tell others about Jesus. It's important. That, that's what we're here to do. The early church, they saw that that's our assignment. Everywhere we go, we've got to tell people the good news. We've got to have that in our hearts as well. That's our mission as a church, connect people with the newness of life found only in Jesus Christ. That, that's, what, that's why God has planted us in this community for such a time as this. People need to hear about Jesus. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Father, we love you. We love you. We thank you for your presence here. Guys, we turn to your word. I pray you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Hearts that are like good soil. That we'd respond to your word and bring forth a harvest in our lives. That our lives would be fruitful. We'd be doers. We would act on your word. Holy Spirit, we thank you. You're our teacher. And we look to you. Come and speak to our hearts. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 12. In your connect group tonight, we'll be talking about Acts chapter 12. If you haven't read it yet, you can take time to read it, see what God would, would speak to you about it. I told you we're leaving meat on the bones for you guys to discuss. We'll look at the first handful of verses here anyway this morning. Acts chapter 12. I don't know if anyone here would consider themselves to be claustrophobic, but claustrophobic is when people get really afraid of small, small spaces, right? And so it can be uh, like, a, like an actual disorder in someone's life, 
or it can just be something that, hey, I'm, I, that makes me feel a little claustrophobic. Have you ever been in a situation that you made you just feel like, oh, it's starting to make me feel like closing in? Just, I, I don't like being in a room this small. Or if you've ever gone on a tour of a cave and they go into small rooms, it can be, it can be different for all of us. A different level of tolerance. What makes one person feel claustrophobic might not make another person. So it's kind of a, a sliding scale. I've got a weighted blanket at home. I sometimes I like to use a, a weighted blanket. And I know some people say, oh man, I wouldn't want to lay under something like that. Just the weight of that would make me feel claustrophobic, whereas I kind of enjoy it. But have you ever been in a situation where you just, you reach that threshold that whatever it is, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. And all of a sudden it's like, it's like panic, panic sits in. You start thrashing around. You just have that moment where you know you, you, this has got, the situation has got to change or you're going to like absolutely lose your mind. When I was growing up, my, my older brother, who's three years older than me, we would play, he called it a game, but now I understand it was just him torturing me because the game, the game only went one direction. He, he would tie me up and put me in different situations and just see if I, if I could escape. So he'd you know, steal my mom's clothesline or find a rope somewhere and he, he'd, he'd tie me up and put me in a chair, or tie me up and cram me under the bed, tie me up and pile blankets on top of me, put me in the back of the closet, he'd just kind of always escalate. He'd come up with some new twist and usually... Even if I couldn't find a way out and couldn't get out of the trap, I could at least tolerate being in the trap until he, you know, he got bored with it and wanted to try some other form of torture and untied me. But I remember one time where we were down in the basement of our home and he, he hog-tied me. So my, my hands and feet are behind me all wrapped up. He tied me really good. And my dad had this old military duffel bag and he put me in it. I'm all tied up. He put me in the duffel bag head first and then closed the duffel bag behind me so I, I can't move it at all. And once he closed that up, I mean, it was like whatever that is that snaps in you, it just, it, it snapped. It was just, man, I, I just, even thinking about it right now, just that panic of, man, just completely claustrophobic. I fear I can't move. I can't breathe. Something has got, something has got to change. Some of you know what I'm talking about. When you reach that threshold where uh, enough is enough, something has got to change. This is no longer at a level where I can tolerate tolerate the situation. Well, it's one thing in the natural when it's just re regarding uh, closed spaces, but there's something in the spiritual realm that we've got to develop a sensitivity to the heart of the Father and where, where things are tolerable or not tolerable, not by our own perspective, but according to the kingdom of God, by the standard of the word of God, not what I'm willing to tolerate, but to get the heart of the Lord, what, what is tolerable and what is not tolerable. So I want to take a few minutes and talk about that this morning. Again, if you have your Bible, you can open it to Acts chapter 12. I'll start reading in verse one. It says, about that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. We'll keep reading, but there's a shift that is happening here. We've seen earlier in the book of Acts how there was religious persecution against the church, right? And the church spreads and it continues to multiply. That was religious persecution, but now we're seeing a, a new kind of persecution, a political persecution come against Christians, that King, King Herod is getting involved and he captures the apostle James and he has him killed with a sword. It means they, they, they cut his head off. This is James, the brother of John, sons of Zebedee. If you remember in the, in the gospel accounts when they're fishermen and they're, they're called to follow Jesus. This is one of Jesus' guys. 
There'd be certain situations where Jesus would just pick out three of his disciples to spend time with him. It was Peter, James, and John. This is the James he's talking about, not to be confused with Jesus' brother James, who wrote, wrote the book of James. So he, he captures James, has him in prison, and then has him killed with, with the sword. Verse three, it says, when Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. So he saw, he saw that the people really liked it when James was captured and killed. So he's, he's a political leader. He saw his poll numbers were up. The people that he's leading, they like it. So, hey, give the people what they want, right? So he gathers, he catches a, another Christian leader. This time it's Peter. And what do you think his intentions are with Peter? If he saw that people really, really liked it when he killed one Christian leader, then he's not going to just capture one and then release him a few days later. His plan is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill this one as well. I'm gonna continue to drive my poll numbers. My approval ratings are gonna go through the roof. I'm just gonna keep killing Christian leaders. But something happens. Look at verse five. It says, but, but while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. But while Peter was in prison, this is standing in contrast to what happened with the apostle James. There's, there's no mention of prayer happening when, when James was in prison and he ended up dying, but we're given a comparison, a contrast, but, but something different in this situation is while, while Peter was in prison, the church was moved to start praying and they prayed very earnestly for him. And this situation turns out completely differently as we'll read here in just a couple of moments. And so we could either just kind of gloss over this and say, okay, things turned out differently because the church prayed. But if really this whole situation pivots on a church spending time in prayer, then, then, then this is huge. The power of a body of believers that understand and use the ability to go to the Lord in prayer, that this is the ability to completely change people's lives, to change people's destinies, to change what happens in people's households and situations. If there's a praying church, everything in the story, it pivots. And that's the emphasis that's being made. These stories are being told side by side. A man's captured, his head's cut off. And then another man's captured and the intention is, the intention is to do the exact same thing, but, but here's what's different. Here's what's different. There's, there's some good old fashioned church people that said, that, let, let's pray. Let's pray about this. And it redirected the entire situation. Let's keep reading. Verse six. It says the night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel. But all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and second guard posts and came to the iron gate leading to the city. And this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street and the angel suddenly left him. Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. This is an incredible story. 
This is like a whole sequence of amazing miracles, uh, amazing things happening. That he's getting ready. He's standing trial the next day and going to be executed. But an angel shows up in his cell. It's filled with light. Has to wake Peter up. The chains, he's bound in chains. And they just, they just release their hold on his wrist. They just fall off of his life. They, they pass the people who have been specifically assigned. It, says, it tells us how many. There's four squads, four soldiers each that have been specifically assigned. This man does not get out of here. He's able to walk right by them. They get to an iron gate that's supposed to restrict people from leaving, and it just swings open. This is an amazing story. A whole bunch of miracles packaged one, one right after another. How in the world did this happen? How was, this all, how, how was he able to, to, to leave a bondage that would have resulted in death to have a freedom that allows him to, to live? How did this happen? Because of prayer. Because people were spending time, because of a praying church, that prayer had the ability to completely change what the trajectory originally was. Execution, death, the end of the story of Peter. It was changed. That, that a praying church has the ability to activate angels on behalf of people. Do you know prayer can activate angels? Angels that otherwise would be uninvolved in people's situations can become involved in situations to minister on people's behalf because, because people pray. It's not just here. We have other examples in Scripture. Daniel chapter 10 is an example. In Daniel chapter 10, Daniel's spending time praying, and an angel appears to him and said, I, I've come in response to your prayer. So prayer has the ability to activate angels on people's behalf. Prayer has the ability to cause bondage to fall off of people, chains that bind people, lose their grip, and no longer hold them like they did before. Forces that have been in, assigned to keep people bound and in prison and to restrict their freedom become impotent in situations where there is prayer be, being lifted up to the Lord on someone's, on someone's behalf. Gates that hold people back. That's the whole idea of an iron gate is to keep people from being able to progress, to move forward. That those things start swinging wide open to allow people to move freely. But by the power of prayer, prayer has the ability to do all of these things. And this story this passage of scripture would have us believe that church people can't have the ability to do these kinds, these kinds of things. So the, the question is, can't, can we pray? Do you and I have the ability to pray? Then that means we have the ability to see all these kinds of things happen. But along with that ability comes a responsibility, a responsibility. You and I have the ability to join together in prayer and see people who are bound become free. See people that are going, because of that bondage, it's going to produce death. They're going to die. Spiritually, maybe it's a marriage, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's an actual physical death. Because of the bondage they're in, it's going to die. It's, there's restrictions in their life that are going to keep them from making the progress that God would have from. You and I have the ability, if we can pray, we can see these kinds of things happen in someone's life. But the problem is too often the church has a James is in prison mindset instead of a Peter is in prison mindset. That when James was in prison, apparently, apparently the church didn't seem, think that it was that big of a deal. So we have no record of them praying. Maybe they were just thinking back to other times when people had been in prison. Because we've seen this happen in the book of Acts before, right? Yeah. Acts chapter 4, the apostles are brought in. They're, they're arrested and brought in for questioning. They're questioned. They're threatened, don't you teach about Jesus anymore. And then they're released. Acts chapter five, they're arrested, they're brought in, they're questioned, this time they're flogged, 
Don't you talk about Jesus anymore. And then they're released. Maybe, maybe the church has kind of just let down its guard and thought, okay, he's, he's arrested. We've, we've been down this road before. They're going to question him. They're going to be mean to him. They're going to say no more talking about Jesus. And then they're going to let him go. But then they cut his head off and they, there something woke up on the inside of them to realize our enemy's not playing games. This isn't a joke to them. There really is an enemy looking to destroy what us, the people of God and what God is doing. And it, it stirred them up it stirred them up to pray, that they had the ability to before, they just didn't use it. And so you and I have the ability to minister deliverance, to minister freedom, to change people's lives, to change our community. The question is whether we will use that ability or not. Because it's one thing just to think, hey, we have authority. How many know we have authority? Isn't that awesome? It's like a, a police officer is given certain authority when they become a police officer. But along with having that authority is a responsibility to use that authority. If you find out that a, a child was harmed and there was a police officer standing by scrolling on his phone while it happened, you, you would be, I mean, you'd be outraged to the situation to begin with. But when you found out there was someone with authority there that didn't use that authority to bring a, a, an end to that situation, you'd be even more outraged. What are you doing? You have the authority. Eh, yeah, I've got the authority. Just didn't want to use it. Well, when you were given the authority, along with it came the responsibility to use that authority. It's the same way with believers, that you, we have authority, and along with that ability to see deliverance come to people, we've got a responsibility to use that for the people around us. So we, we've got to be like the church when Peter was in prison, not like the church when James was in prison, and realize, man, there are people relying on us, people in our community that need to have a praying church and release the power of a praying church. Let me read to you from Psalm chapter 50. Psalm chapter 50, verse 15, it says this, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. God says, call on me. In the day of trouble, what will he do if you call on him? He says, I'll deliver you. I'll deliver you. That's what happened in, in Peter's situation. There was a deliverance that took place. Deliverance is available. And after the deliverance, who gets glory? God gets all the glory. So no, notice, notice the sequence. Day of trouble. Day of trouble causes people to call on the Lord. Right? They call on the Lord. What happens when they call on the Lord? There's deliverance. And once there's deliverance, God, God receives glory. God receives praise. People fall deeper in love with God. So, so what triggers this whole chain reaction? What, what's the starting point? What sparks it? A day of trouble. A day of trouble. In the day of trouble, call to me. I'll deliver you. So the, this whole sequence is started by a day of trouble. Then the question is, when is the day of trouble? How do we know if it's the day of trouble or not? Because there is a special invitation. You can pray to the Lord anytime you want. But there's a special invitation in this verse, a special invitation to call on the Lord in a unique way, and he answers in a specific way. It's a special invitation, but it's limited to the day of trouble. So when is the day of trouble? How do you know today is Sunday? Why'd you come to church today? How'd you know it was Sunday? You, I mean, you looked at the calendar. Yesterday was Saturday. You know, you know what comes next. If I said, hey, let's meet for coffee on Monday, how would you know it was Monday? When, when, when did you know to show up at the coffee shop? If I said, give me a call on Wednesday, you would know, you can look at the calendar, okay, a couple of days from now, it's gonna be Wednesday, that's when I'm going to, that's when the invitation to give a call, that's when the invitation is to meet for coffee. So we, we, we know Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, what about the day of trouble? When is the day of trouble? When does this special invitation apply? Will you and I determine 
the day of trouble. By what level of trouble we're willing to tolerate in our lives. You and I play a role in determining how much trouble are you willing to tolerate? How much, how much are you willing to be, allow the enemy to rob from you and your family? How much harassment are you willing to say, well, that's just, that's just life, that's just the way things go? What joy are you allowing the enemy to steal from you and you're just kind of, well, you know, I'll just kind of shrug it off, it's not that big of a deal. Or if you'll wake up on the inside and you'll identify, no, this is a problem, this is trouble. I'm not talking about being stressed out and wringing your hands kind of trouble. You, you, can, you can care about something and realize this is a problem that needs to be dealt with without it troubling you in that kind. That's not the kind of trouble I'm talking about. I'm talking about identifying this is out of order for the kingdom of God. This doesn't line up with, with the life that I'm called to live and the kingdom I'm called to advance and enforce the code of this kingdom. This, this is trouble. What kind of trouble are we willing to tolerate before we, we identify today is a day of trouble. Today is a day that's going to spark me to call on the Lord. This situation, I'm not putting up with this situation in my marriage, in my my household, in my health, in the community, in the, in the neighborhood God has planned me. This is out of order. Today's a day of trouble. I'm going to ignite this sequence of event and begin to call on the Lord so I can see deliverance and God can receive glory in this situation. What, what will you be willing to identify as a day of trouble? Is it troubling to us that there's people all around us on their way to hell because they haven't heard about Jesus? Is it troubling to us that families are being torn apart by strife and other efforts of the enemy? Is it troubling to us that people are bound in addiction to alcohol and drugs and pornography, that poverty is rampant in our community, that there's so many kids living in foster care with grandparents or bouncing, bouncing around just trying to find some place to have a bed and a home and someone, someone loved them. Is that stuff troubling to us? Or are we just, yeah, you know, it's just kind of the way things are going. You know, the world's just kind of sliding that direction. If, but if the church will say, no, 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 th this is a problem and we have the ability to deal with this problem, that's the day of trouble. You and I determine the day of trouble. Today is a day of trouble in someone's life, and they need someone. There's no record of Peter praying. It, was, it says that the church was praying earnestly on his behalf. Someone in our community, today's a day of trouble for him. And when we talk about a day in the Bible, it can be a season. Someone's in a season of trouble, and they need a deliverer, but deliverance in that passage of Scripture is pending people crying out to the Lord. We've got to cry out to the Lord on their behalf so they can experience what God has for them. That's the role of the body of Christ, to minister deliverance by by being willing to lift our voice on the behalf of others in the day of trouble. Call to me. That's an invitation. You and I decide when's that call going to go up to identify. My heart's sensitive. Look, this, is, this, is troubling. this is troubling to my spirit because I know it's not pleasing to you, Lord, to carry that kind of sensitivity in our spirits. It's like what, what Isaac prophesied over Esau in Genesis chapter 27. Genesis 27, verse 40, he says this, by your sword, you shall live and you shall serve your brother and it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. When you become restless, you'll break his yoke. You'll, you'll live in servitude. You'll live under that bondage and slavery until you, until you make the decision, I'm through with this. No more. It's a day of trouble. I'm going to experience deliverance. Same thing for us. And it's one of the reasons the enemy is so subtle in advancing his agenda in a lot of situations because he wants to keep the church passive, just slowly, slowly eroding families, slowly eroding culture so he doesn't wake up, so he doesn't wake up the church and begin to use this ability that they've been given. When you, when you look around at things that are happening in culture, you know, it, it's ridiculous, really. 
the most basic things, understanding if you are a male or a female. That's about one of the most simple things for someone to understand. And the enemy's been able to stir up confusion confusion and controversy over whether someone is male or, or female? Who would have ever thought that'd be something you've got to pause and be careful? You're supposed to pause and be careful about, you know, people's pronouns and all those kinds of things. You can just make up noises that you want to be called for your, for your pronouns. It's, it's ridiculous. But do you think that's just a new idea that the enemy has had? Why didn't he do that 50 years ago? Because 50 years ago, people would have gone through the roof if you tried that nonsense, but he's, he's eroded a little by little, a little by a little by little. To have men dress up like women and go in and teach elementary school kids, read, read books to them, just per, all kinds of perversion and weirdness that a hundred years, the enemy had that desire a hundred years ago, which has taken him a long time to get people worn down. And if you think he wants to stop there, he, he's, he's got a lot, he's still working us towards something and he's doing it subtly as to not wake people up just a little at a time. But the Holy Spirit can wake us up. We can see what's written in the word of God and, and choose to wake up and say, no, 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 this is a day of trouble. I'm going to, I'm going to sound the call to God for deliverance to put an end to this. Instead of, instead of shame and reproach, God can be glorified by the deliverance that's happening in people's lives. But it is pending a church that's willing to pray. Listen to Psalm 5, starting in verse 1. It says, give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for to you I will pray my voice. You shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. You know, your voice matters. The words that come out of your mouth matter to God. Notice that he mentions it over and over in just those few verses that we read. Give heed, give ear, pay attention to my words, God. Hear my voice. I'm going to direct something to, what's he going to direct to the Lord? Early in the morning, my voice, my voice, I'm going to sound off my voice. I'm going to use this ability to speak that you've given me. And I'm going to make change. Father, pay attention to my words. Hear my voice. Your words and your voice are enormously important. What you say, how you use their, your ability to speak. You know, think of the story of blind Bartimaeus as Jesus is walking by. You know, Bartimaeus could have spent the rest of his life blind. He could have died a blind man. But when Jesus was passing by, what did he do? He started to use his voice. His voice mattered. It caught the attention. Jesus pays attention, not just to the, you don't think Jesus had to understand there's a blind man over there, but his voice caused Jesus to stop. And it wasn't just his voice that was part of it, but the words that he was uttering with that voice made a difference as well. Remember what he yelled? Jesus, son of David. What, what did he say after that? Have mercy on me, all right? Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me evokes a different response than Jesus, son of David, have a good afternoon. Jesus, son of David, love the robe. It, it, it evokes a different response, right? His, word, his words matter. What did he, he say? He called for mercy. Jesus, son of David, have mercy. I'm appealing to your mercy. I want you to direct your mercy to me. So he gets Jesus' attention. He starts speaking something specific that made a difference. Jesus calls him over and even says, what, what do you want me to do for you? It's time for more voice. It's time for more word. They matter. He could have said anything in that moment. Well, you know that I'm blind, uh, you know. Uh, you, you know, those really dark sunglasses kind of some people wear and it covers up how messed up their eyes are and people aren't sure those would be awesome. That, that's what he could have ended up with. That's not what he asked for. 
He said, Lord, I, I want to see. I want to be able to. His words mattered in that moment. It might be a silly example, but it's not silly. The fact that your words make an impact on the heart of God. How you choose to sound off your voice, what comes out of you, it matters. And sometimes when we pray, we're directing our voice to God. But also when we pray, there's times where we direct our voice and use the authority that God has given us in situations. Flip over to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, we'll start reading verse 22. This is after Jesus has spoken to a fig tree. It withers. The disciples are amazed, and Jesus says this. Then Jesus said to the disciples, have faith in God. I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. So Jesus says you need to have faith in God, and then he says you can speak to this mountain. You can speak to a situation where you see something that is someplace you realize it doesn't belong there. That's not, that's not right. Then you can use your voice to make a sound that moves it from that place to where it belongs. And then he says, I'm telling you, when, when you pray, he's not changing the subject here. When you pray, when you believe, have no doubt in your heart, you can have what you ask for. He's, he's, he's considering it all prayer. He's considering our ability to speak to things with the authority God has given us. He puts that under the category of prayer. That we can pray your, your words in prayer, whether they're directed at God or whether they're directed at situations with the authority of God, they matter. Even God in the creation account. For, for whatever reason, God has put an enormous significance on words that come out of our mouths. Even God in the creation account. Almighty, all-powerful God himself has a desire to create things. He has it in mind, in his mind, what he wants to, he's not just, you know, throwing stuff together willy-nilly. He's, he's got a plan. There's order to it. He has it in his mind, and he has the desire in his heart. Even though he's all-powerful God with that desire, with that plan, nothing happens until he speaks. And once he starts speaking, things, things start coming into existence. That, that's how he's designed things to work. Your words, your words matter. Your words matter. Even in, in salvation, that when somebody comes into a relationship with Jesus, when they are born in the kingdom of God, what we, what we believe is very significant, but it doesn't stop there. You've got to believe in your heart, and then what? You believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. There's a certain noise you make. There's something you sound with your mouth that helps somebody be pulled out of the kingdom of darkness and born again into the kingdom of God. Your voice, what, what you say matters, matters in that moment. In John chapter 11, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he'd, he'd been dead four days. In that same chapter, he identified himself as the resurrection, the resurrection and life. Jesus said, that, that's who I, I am, resurrection life. And he gets to the tomb, has him open it up. Re resurrection life is standing right there, a matter of feet from this dead man. And nothing happens until what? Until, until his voice sounds off and he calls Lazarus by name. Lazarus, come forth. And if you and I have been made in the image of God, and we have, then we have the ability to speak words with creative power. We have the ability to call things that are dead, to call them forth, to call them back again. So when you see situations, a potential favor that's been lost off of your life, a relationship that's dead or dying, you have the ability to use your voice to call that thing back to life. Man, I used to have favor with this 
person. I realize, Lord, I've blown it. I've made a mistake. Something's happened. I call that favor back. Lord, whatever's keeping me from my destiny, I have the ability to call those things forth and to use my voice to break bondage, to cause things to be created, to call things back to life. And you have that ability. I have that ability. It's just whether or not we choose to use it or not. Whether we understand it. No, this is a day of trouble. It needs a man of God. It needs a woman of God to activate this power or we sit passively by and just shrug it off as it's the way things go. What's the sequence? The day of trouble. Realize, man, this is a problem. This is a problem that needs to be dealt with. In the day of trouble, in the day of trouble, you will call to me. You'll cry out to me and I will deliver. It activates the power of God. You know, your words have, have ability. Pastor Josiah, stand up. Go ahead and walk right over here. Go ahead and turn around. Oh, come back this way. All right, go back to your seat. But how did I get him to do that? There's, there, there's no ropes attached. I didn't have to pry him out of his seat. He's a, he's a bigger man than I am. I didn't try, I have to lift him. What, what did I use? I, I, just, I, I just used words. He was sitting there. I, I changed what was going on in his life just by what was coming out of my mouth. I changed what was happening in this room. I just give, gave an instruction. He complied with it. He walked. I, I could, who knows what I could have told him to do? <laughs> Maybe we should have pushed the envelope a little more. But I, I used... I used my words to change a situation. Your words have influence. Your words have, have, have power that God has anointed you, and it's our responsibility to use it. There, there's a sound you can make that makes impact, that moves the heart of God, that moves certain situations. But if we're silent, it doesn't matter how much power and potential authority we have, if we're silent, it's squandered. You know, in the natural, things can make a sound And that sound can, can literally move things in the physical realm. Have you ever been at a stoplight and you, you hear a rumbling and you're thinking, what in the world's going on? Maybe you even feel your car starting to shake. You realize, oh, someone just pulled up next to you. They got the base turned way up. You see the rust rattling off of their car, the trunks. The trunks. What's happening there? It's, just, it's a sound that's, that's literally, it's moving things. An invisible, it's an invisible force that's causing things in the natural to move. We'll, we'll do our own little experiment here. Let me grab that cup of water. All right, let's get a little sound. Did you see that? Okay, let's do it again. I'm not sure if you noticed the water moving. Can you see it? Okay. Cups crawling across the table. Now, now what, what's going on? Go ahead one more time. You can, I'm not sure how well you can see it, but that water, is, that water is rippling. The cup is actually moving across the table. Why, why is that happening? Why did the water all of a sudden start to move to the point where the cup is, cup is moving? If we kept doing it, it would end up falling off the table. What's happening there? Does the, does the water just feel like moving in that moment? 
Just all of a sudden, if we, if we could ask the water, why are you moving? The water probably wouldn't even know why. But there's a sound that's going forth that's causing it to move. Whether it realizes it or not, it's being moved by a sound that's being emitted, right? There's something in the invisible realm. You can't see the sound, but you can see the effects as it's moving something in the physical realm. This, this isn't just a lesson on physics. There's a spiritual correlation, a, a truth that goes along with this, that you and I have the ability to make a sound, and in the invisible realm, it moves, it moves things. It causes things to change. It causes chains to break off people. It causes iron gates to swing open. You and I can make that kind of sound. We can use our voice in prayer and using the authority. And it might seem like nonsense as you pace back and forth in your living room or in your bedroom, lifting your voice and crying out to God, but you're putting out a sound that is moving things and changing situations. You're issuing something in the invisible round that you're going to be able to see the manifestation of that at some point in time. When you pray in the Holy Spirit, when you use your prayer language, you're allowing God to attach meaning to what you're saying. When you're spending time praying, there could be somebody affected, just like that water didn't know why it was moving. It was a sound exerting influence on it. You can have somebody that decides, you know what, I just decided to give you the job. I just, I just felt like I wanted to give you favor. I just wanted to give you this opportunity. I felt to give you, they, they didn't just feel that. They think they just felt it. They're being, they're being moved on by a sound that somebody began to emit, and they're feeling the effects of it and they can assign whatever reasoning to it. But you know, no, a sound went forth that caused that person to be moved to action in my favor, in my behalf. Those chains didn't just fall off on their own accord. There was a sound that went forth that caused them to break, that caused that gate to go open. And you and I can make that sound. We can make that sound. When you pray in the Holy Spirit, you allow, you allow God to assign the meaning to the sound that you're emitting. You, you pray the very will of God when you pray in the Holy Spirit. You're praying the very will of God. So you can just spend time. You don't know what you're saying all the time. You can be calling things into order. You're emitting a sound to begin to arrange things. You're emitting a sound to move things. Not even realize, I'm praying by the end of September, my family will be in order. By the end of this year, I'm going to experience a breakthrough in this area of my life. This comes to an end this week. You're issuing a sound that you'll see the results of that sound, but you're making it in the spiritual realm. You and I have that authority to see forces that are making people's lives miserable. But if, if we stay silent, if we don't emit that sound, things remain unmoved. People stay in bondage. People stay captive. Sickness, depression, anxiety, whatever it is that's afflicting people is allowed to carry out the course of its work until someone realizes this is, no, this is a day of trouble. I'm gonna start to make this. I'm gonna sound the cry. I'm gonna begin to call out to the Lord. I'm gonna begin to use, this comes to an end. We identify it as a day of trouble. I'm telling you, it's a day of trouble. We've gotta allow the Spirit of God to wake us up, to open the eyes of our heart, not in a panic, not, not in a sense of alarm, as if it's too far gone, but in a sense of, like a soldier lining up for battle. It's time, it's time to use the power and authority that God has given us. God's looking for men and women that'll not just sit idly by as other people are dying and going to hell. Other people's lives are being wasted in misery, not reaching what God has for them, what he's prepared for them. People don't get to enjoy it. And you and I can just sit and enjoy the benefits and the blessings that we've been allowed to receive while other people miss out on. Meanwhile, we've got the ability to bring them into the kingdom, to administer freedom to people all around us. 
It's no accident that we've been brought together as a body of believers in Harrison County, West Virginia, that there's a power, there's a sound that God wants to rise from us to minister freedom to the people all around us. It's just whether or not we'll emit that sound or not. They prayed, it says that the church prayed very earnestly while Peter was in prison, very earnestly. That's not a religious prayer. That's not just going through the, I know I'm supposed to, the pastor's telling us to pray. I guess we're gonna spend some time praying this morning. Their hearts were moved. Their hearts were in it. It was a fervency. They understood, man, there's too much on the line. I get, I've got the heart of God on this. I feel like he feels. I, God, I see the situation like you see it, that we set aside our own selfish earthly perspective and we gain heaven's perspective. It's not enough just to feel compassion. I could tell you stories about people in our community or, or, or sad situations and we could kind of nod and that is so unfortunate. That doesn't do anybody any good. It's gotta move our heart till we take action and one of the ways we take action is to begin to pray, to be a praying church. A sensitivity in the day of trouble. In the day of trouble. Anyone remember the story of the princess and the pea? Whether they proved that she was really a princess? It's been like 40 years since I read the story, so bear with me. But it goes something like, they're trying to determine if this, this girl's really a princess or not, right? And there's some way that if, if she feels the pea under a whole bunch of mattresses, that kind of sensitivity, then she's really a queen, right? Something like that. They stack up 30 mattresses and she's still, man, it's uncomfortable. Something's off here. Something's not right. I can't get it. I can't sleep worth anything. I can tell something's wrong. Just a tiny little pee under all, all those layers, but she can feel it. It proves that she's royal. You've got to prove that I've got, the, I've got the spirit of Jesus. There's a royalty on the inside of me. That I'm sensitive to the needs around me. I can't just turn a blind eye. I can't, I can't turn a blind eye. My heart is too sensitive. I'm too much like Jesus to ignore people's problems. Man, I can't get any rest until I see things called into order, like, like the princess in the pea. A sensitive spirit, a sensitive heart, that it's not okay. It's a day of trouble. As long as there's people around us that don't know Jesus, it's a day of trouble. As long as there's people bound in our own church family, people People bound by sin, people dealing with all kinds of issues. It's a day of trouble. So we've got to be willing to pray and to see God deliver people and allow him to receive glory. Amen. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.